G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 9 review episode coupled with a part of Round 10 preview. And if that's confusing, that's just the way it's going to be for the next couple of weeks. We've all got a lot to get our heads around logistically, but we're going to do our best. And we have a jam-packed show for you this evening. We've got reviews of eight of the nine round nine games. Of course, we've already reviewed the Richmond Bulldogs clash from last Wednesday night. And we have previews of the first four games in round 10, enough to take us up to our next episode next Thursday morning. Hopefully that all makes sense. And this man hopefully will make sense. As I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? Well, I guess I'm like all... Victorians, particularly Melbournians, are a bit taken aback by the depth and impact of stage four restrictions, which are lockdown that have been imposed on us quite rightly by Daniel Andrews this afternoon. So a bit to wrap our heads around there, especially the 8pm curfew. And that, that doesn't mean I have to go to bed at 8pm, does it, Rowan? Uh, well, I hope not, because I'm a bit of a night owl, so uh, we're going to have trouble recording this if that's the case. But no, I think you're okay, as long as you yep. stay in the uh, safety of your own uh, residence. And of course, a state of disaster has been declared. Now, a bit of gallows humour here, but does that mean that's the new slogan on our number plates? Well, I hope not, but I'm not ruling anything out because who knows how long this thing's going to hang around. It's, uh, <clears throat> I mean, all joking aside, it's pretty grim times here in Victoria. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that uh, cabal of media commentators who seem to like nothing more than taking pot shots at us can hold off for five seconds. I wouldn't be putting any money on that. Um, I'll tell you who won't be taking pot shots at us because they're great supporters of our show, Finey, and that is our wonderful sponsors. Well, how's this? I mean, still a very much uh, an essential service. And Andrew's Hamburgers, as they have done through 81 years of great service through the Second World War, through other travails and other ups and downs that this great city of Melbourne has enjoyed and endured, they've always been there, Andrew's Hamburgers. And I reckon when people look back at this very trying period. For many people, trip to Andrews to have that famous burger, was a bit of a, a, bright, a bright ray of hope and sunshine on the pretty dark times. I think they'll be fondly remembered for the great service they've provided. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. The rules now are very clear, Rowan. You do have to live within five kilometres radius of Andrews Hamburgers to enjoy a burger that you pick up and also get delivered. So that covers a lot of Melbourne. A lot of Melbournians can still enjoy a great Andrews hamburger. And some conjecture about the future of the building industry, the immediate future, of course. Well, whether it's put on hold for six weeks or whether they continue on, Westport properties are 
with Nick's Bartels, the, first of all, they're busy, but they are also sticklers for detail. So there'll be no skimping, there'll be no stinting. You'll still get the same great product from West Point Properties, Nick's Bartels. All right, uh, wonderful sponsors. Like I said, we've got a heap of reviewing and previewing to get through. So let's do it right away. On Footyology, wrap around. Okay, round nine kicked off last Wednesday evening uh, with Richmond's emphatic win over the Western Bulldogs. We've already done that game, of course, in last Thursday's episode. So our review picks up round nine on Thursday evening. And that, of course, was the evening Port Adelaide had an even more emphatic win, if, if that is possible, over Melbourne. 12-11-83, defeating the hapless Demons, just four goals, eight, 32. A resounding 51-point win to the power. The goals, uh, three to Georgiades. Pretty impressive performance by young Georgiades. Two to Westoff, two to Rosie for the Demons. Their only multiple goal kicker, Sam Wiedemann. And uh, another win, as we've seen so many victories this season, finally set up in the first quarter. The power, three goals up by quarter time, five goals and a bit up by half time. And uh, that was pretty much all she wrote. Increased the lead a bit more in the third term with another four goals. And then the last quarter, pretty much junk time. And boy, has that happened a fair bit this year. But uh, we thought Melbourne might uh, give them a bit of a challenge, given their decent recent form. But uh, wasn't to be, was it? The power were pretty imperious in the way they cruised to victory. Yeah, and there's been a bit of a fallout from the game with uh, Simon Goodwin's position as Melbourne coach. Sort of questioned by, is it Glenn Bartlett, the CEO of Melbourne? Glenn Bartlett, the yep. president? President. Certainly, uh, he said, totally unacceptable and did not uh, give his unqualified support to the coach or the assistants, which might be a good thing. You know, they've got a big job for the remainder of the season, I think, to convince the board that they are the team to take this team, Melbourne, forward. So disappointing. Were they in a game... That really was their green go button if they were to put season 2019 behind them and tell the football world that the real Melbourne was 2018. Because uh, they're in the bottom third of the ladder and this was a time to show <coughs> against good quality opposition that they were capable of mixing it with the best. I want to talk about Port Adelaide, specifically George Artis. Last year, Port Adelaide bravely went the direct route of a draft to try and rebuild the club and got an immediate result through Connors, Rosie, Zach Butters and Xavier Dersma. Well, isn't it amazing? But the player that didn't play last year, George Iotis, I think most people would say he's got the scope to be the best of the, the whole four and a really important forward in this competition going forward. He's going to have to do a lot of football. I'm not saying he's there yet, but didn't he read like the sort of player you build a premiership team around, Rowan? Yeah, look, he's, uh, they've done so well with their recruiting. Um, he, he's got a great leap on him. He's got a good footy brain. Um, he just keeps presenting. Very, very, very impressive. The thing about this game is it's, it's sort of uh, all Melbourne's worst woes about not converting the possessions they get uh, came home to roost again. In fact, at one stage... 
think after Sam Mays kicked Port six goals. So at this stage, it was six goals to zip. Um, and at that stage, Port had only had two more inside 50s. It was 19 to 17. So that gives you a pretty good indication of just how dysfunctional Melbourne were going forward. But it was the same old story, um, really sloppy with their disposal. You know, so many kicks missing their targets. Uh, and that was most damaging, trying to go inside 50. Their forwards couldn't get any separation from their opponents. They were always hurried. Um, they just didn't get the space that the power got, in contrast, when they attacked. And this is one thing I'm really liking about the power. They play footy at speed. And, um, you know, it's not like most sides don't try to do it, but they are capable of doing it. And they, they get space to work in, to use their skills, which have improved dramatically because their skill level was a bit of an issue there for a while as well. And you've got imposing targets up forward. And now it's not just Dixon, Westhoff, uh, Robbie Gray. Um, you've, you've got the likes of Rosie can kick goals and now Georgiades bobbing up as almost a third tool for them. So there's a variety of goal-kicking options up there. Their defence we've spoken about before, underrated but very solid. And their midfield is really going great guns at the moment. I thought Ollie Wine's terrific for the power again. He's coming back into some serious form. Uh, and here's another guy who hasn't had many raps on him, but I think he's a very handy player, Kane Farrell. Um, lovely kick of the footy, and he's added something to the mix too. And a veteran like Travis Boat playing uh, some really good football as well. So, you know, look, they are a genuinely good team. Yes, they've had a couple of poor quarters here and there, but uh, you'd certainly like the odds of them at least giving top four a crack this season, I reckon. Yeah, isn't it funny? In 2018, they rolled the dice and it came up snake eyes for people who don't play craps. That means no good because they went an experienced route and they added Rockliffe, Jack Watts and Motlop to the club. Is that correct? They were the... uh, yes, Motlop, Jack Watts. Who was the other one you mentioned? Rockliffe. Rockliffe, yeah, was uh, fourth and a fifth as well. Uh, anyway, go on. It, it didn't work out for them. But maybe a, a salient message for clubs that are looking for a quick fix. Then again, St Kilda's gone an experienced route and had a, a very good result. But I think a more targeted band of players. It just You can get a real result out of that draft. And just one word on Clayton Oliver, or a quick summation. I value your opinion here, Rowan, because I feel that he's the sort of bloke that flirts with being considered an elite midfielder at AFL level. But I think he slipped out of that bracket because I think now his papers are stamped, not a great user of the ball. A lot of handball, but not that sort of incisive, brilliant handball that sets players a running. It's more sort of hot potato handball. And his kicking is not reliable enough. So I can't mark him in the elite at this stage of his career. Oh, look, it's probably a fair call. I think maybe one thing that's happened is the premium on good disposal rather than just accumulating possessions has increased. And we see how damaging the likes of uh, Dustin Martin can be, uh, not just because of the amount of touches, but the way they use them. And I think Melbourne's been exposed on that level with a number of players, not just Oliver. But, um, yeah, I think that's the thing I'd be really worried about from a coaching perspective, the fact that so many fundamentals, like getting the hands on the footy, contested possession, they remained ostensibly sound, but they just seem 
chronically unable to convert that into scores. And at some point, you've got to start saying, well, what's going on? It can't just be about personnel. So a real worry for them, no doubt. To be fair to Oliver, if he played in a team with good users around him, he would be considered a great inside mid and a great distributor. The problem is that there's not a lot of good ball users around him and a lot of the ball that he gives to other players doesn't result in the sort of football that reflects well on him. So a bit, it's a bit hard on him, but that's his lot and he's not quite good enough with ball in hand. So a great win for Port, more disappointment for Melbourne. That is Thursday night done and dusted. We had a double header on Friday. Let's talk about that. Okay, big double header on Friday and the first of the two games at the rather strange time of 3.40pm local time, that's in Perth, was Carlton taking on Hawthorne. And this was an amazing game, Fine. You talk about twists and turns, but in the end, a triumphant 31-point win to the Hawks, whose uh, proud record held up again and uh, pretty happy with my tip on this one. 14 goals, 5, 89, defeating Carlton, 9-4, 58. For the Hawks, Gunston, 3, 2 to Shields, 2 to Smith and 2 to Bruce. For the Blues, 3 to Levi Casbolt, 2 to Jack Nunes and 2 to Jack Martin. Well, just an amazing game of footy. This Carlton had the first five goals on the board all within 16 minutes. And I thought not only are the Blues going to win the second of 18 meetings against the Hawks, but they are going to blow them out of the water. Hawthorne managed to sneak a bit of a foothold in proceedings late in the quarter with the last two goals of the term. And they then proceeded to take over. Levi Casbolt did kick the first goal of the second quarter, made the margin 25 points again. From there, Hawthorne kicked nine of the next 10 goals. In fact, I think they ended up kicking 16 of 18 goals or some ridiculous figure. And the second quarter finally was absolutely vintage Hawthorne. Uh, And for the first time all year, arguably, we saw them generate plenty of outside run. Isaac Smith was prolific in this term with two goals. Liam Shields um, bobbed up with two goals. Sean Burgoyne did very little for the rest of this game, but in the second quarter, he was on fire. He had eight possessions and five score involvements. And the Hawks turned around and themselves banged on six goals in a 17-minute burst to turn a 25-point deficit into a 13-point lead at halftime. Could have even been more. Tim O'Brien dropped a sitter of a mark right on the halftime siren. And they were never seriously challenged thereafter. Three goals to one in the third term and three goals to two in the final quarter. They were just outstanding, the Hawks. I thought um, they had a host of really important players. James Warple, probably their most solid four-quarter player. Tom Mitchell racked up the touches. I thought Gunston played his best game of the year. Really dangerous up forward and covered a lot of territory as well. Jager O'Meara, very solid. Liam Shields, opposed to Patrick Cripps for a lot of the game, did really well. Luke Bruce, uh, a welcome returnee to the side, was important as well. And as we said in the preview show, Fanny, Hawthorne, you just can't write them off because, as as we'd said, it had been 10 years since they'd lost five games in a row. Once again, they staved off that unwanted record with uh, a vintage backs-to-the-wall performance. Gee, five goals, one to nothing. And nails that had already been hammered in the coffin of the Hawthorne Football Club with plenty of people willing to grandstand 
and cherry pick from the sidelines, pointing their fingers at Alistair Clarkson and various others at the club, and they had the Don Scott distraction as well during the week. They would have been putting away the hammer and picking up the power drill to absolutely seal that coffin shut at 5-1 to nothing. And on the other side of that coin, Carlton supporters, who had been almost um, shocked by their team's positive performance through a season that really has not presented any great big-name recruits to the club, has not presented anything other than a, a really good attitude under David Teague that resulted in a thrashing of the Western Bulldogs and had them absolutely thinking of finals football. Well, gee, things changed in a matter of three and a half quarters, did they not? Because by the end of the game, Carlton still have those similar deficiencies that have dogged them for years. They improved this year because Weedering has come of age and and manages that back line extremely well with Doherty. So they've got a back line that functions very well. Liam Jones as well, may I add. The problem is in the midfield where Patrick Cripps doesn't get enough support. And in fact, Patrick has struggled a bit this year, not in terms of his game output, but in various quarters of football where he seems to be uh, taken out of play by either a blanketing opponent or by good tactics from the opposition. Carlton's forward line relies heavily on Casbolt's good kicking and Mackay's good hands, and that won't work every single week. And from the Hawthorne perspective, yes, that midfield performed well because it doesn't have a lot of depth, but the front liners, as you pointed out, Warple Mitchell and O'Meara fired and beat, Haw- beat Carlton's equivalent. But the big change was a forward line that had Gunston playing his best game for the year, Bruce back, and that duo has won premiership. So that's a pretty powerful duo when they get going. Shields, as you say, chimed in. Smith did what only Smith can probably consistently do, do and kick a big, important goal from outside 51 that he didn't even want to take a shot at to start off with. So this was Hawthorne at their you know, but they're, they're key players putting their best foot forward. I don't know if it's sustainable week to week, let alone for a month to get them into the eight. And as for Carlton, well, you know what? Don't lose faith because the players that got you into this good position, the likes of Gibbons and Cunningham, did not have good games, but they've had good seasons. So hopefully they can bounce back because Carlton supporters deserve at least a, a little bit of a, a, not a slide off the face of the earth. They deserve more and the team is giving them more this year. The, actually, the other guy I should have mentioned for Hawthorne is Jarman Imping too, because I think yes. we probably underestimated the difference that he can make to that run. I mean, um, you know, we talk about Isaac Smith a lot, but he needs some support in that regard. And I think Impey uh, <coughs> coming back certainly made a difference on that score. So good illustration to me that doesn't necessarily take a lot to turn form around. And Hawthorne had become a very pedestrian, slow-moving, predictable team. Just that extra bit of zip and run and carry made all the difference to them. And, um, you know, they can keep the likes of Impey on the park and if they can keep the likes of Isaac Smith playing at a decent level, well, who knows? I reckon their best play this year has been Wingard. Maybe not for total output of possessions, but gee, everything he does, he did a magnificent tap on. He's really, he's really back to his um, brilliant and perceptive football best. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad he mentioned him, actually, because uh, he kicked what well, I thought it was a play of the day early in the last quarter. He ran onto a ball just behind the centre line and uh, went on a run with it, dished off a pass to Segla, who had no one between him and the goals. And Wingard just kept on running 
ran the legs off whoever was behind him, got into a position where he marked unopposed and uh, sealed the deal basically from about 20 metres out. So, no, you're right. He, in the last few weeks particularly, he's been terrific. Really good win for the Hawks and they will take a lot of encouragement from that. Yeah. That was the first leg of the Friday double. Let's talk about the second. Friday evening up at Metricon Stadium, Essendon taking on Brisbane. Well, this was a shellacking and a half. The Lions, easy victors, 63 points, 14 goals, 7, 91, defeating Essendon, a miserable three goals, 10, 28 for Brisbane. Charlie Cameron, terrific game from him, four goals, two to Lockie Neal, they were the only multiples. Devin Smith kicked two for Essendon, and the other goals, Parrish was the only other goal kicker for the Bombers. Finally, I thought the writing was on the wall within 10 minutes of the start of this game, by which time the Lions had three goals on the board. Essendon looked flat as a you-know-what's hat. They just had no zip in them at all. Uh, clearly, the weight of injuries has taken a massive toll. Well, it has most of the season on the forward set up, but even though they had Dylan Shield back in harness, the midfield got absolutely belted. Thought the defence looked unsettled. They just had nothing going for them at all. Couldn't generate anything, and the Lions just uh, ran amok, basically, particularly up forward, where Cameron was a real handful for any opponent who came near him. They had plenty of good players, the Lions, Lockie Neal, Alex Witherden came into the side and was terrific. Um, Jared Berry, Zorko, I thought pretty good. Cameron, of course, with four goals. Uh, the Bombers, do you would have struggled to name more than about three best. I thought um, Jordan Ridley, again, did his best. I thought Andy McGrath, as he has all year, battled on pretty hard. And a victim also, I've got to say, the recipient of the worst free kick of the season. Did you see that one, Fonny? We got pinked for holding the ball. Oh, mate, there were a couple of today in the Collingwood-Fremantle game, given and not given to Collingwood, that rivaled that. No problems. Oh, this, that, it was pretty bad. Anyway, not that it would have made a difference because Essendon were miserable. And uh, as we predicted, the run of injuries um, has made them uncompetitive. And, and look, certainly not using it as an excuse because all it's done for me is expose their absolute lack of depth. And uh, they are in a world of pain now with uh, three pretty strong opponents to follow. Pretty hard to see how they're going to afford defeat in most of those games as well. For Brisbane, uh, it just gets better and better. Their form's good. They're on uh, home turf or home stake turf at least. Uh, all pointing towards a very strong foothold in uh, this year's final series. As a... It wasn't even a wake-up call for Essendon supporters. I think most football fans, Essendon supporters included, were fairly realistic about what the ladder was promising, but what the truth was behind Essendon's uh, lofty position of actually being in the eight with a game in hand, because a lot of those wins were over lesser light teams. And at the same time, while racking up those wins... Essendon have been losing one or two players a week and don't sell short the players that were lost this week. Maybe not as much impact as Stringer, but Langford was doing the Stringer job a little bit in his absence. So another huge loss there. And, and the Conor McKenna, that's where Essendon get their strengths from running off the half-back line. Brisbane were had all bases covered. They have quite a few players out too for the first time in a couple of years. So it was interesting to see how their replacements fared. And you mentioned Witherden performing extremely well. Um, 
I thought Noah Answorth was very good as well. So they get a double result there and more depth to choose from as the season rolls on. There was one bright note for Essendon, the long-awaited, because of injury, debut of quite a shot in the arm, a, a, a tonic, I think, during lean times, is a physical ruckman. And believe you me, Oscar McInerney on the bus back to wherever uh, uh, Brisbane... He could have taken a probably public transport and got home, taken a public bus from Gold Coast to his home, or the team bus back to the Gabba. He would have been bloody sore because Sam Draper uh, threw him in a sort of wrestling manoeuvre to the ground. Quite legal, odd, but powerful. And for a kid in his first game, he had everything. He had uh, ruck competitiveness. He had good follow-up. He had a presence. He kicks the ball long, if not that straight. And he had a haircut undercut mullet and moustache that together made him look like a front end of an Edsel Ford that had been driven into a brick wall. In other words, mismatched, odd, but somehow alluring. It was odd. I couldn't help thinking that mullets, people who are really tall shouldn't have mullets. Yeah, and undercuts and cheesy moustaches. But you know what? If you're a big, big, powerful presence like him, you could probably also have a Satan goatee and mutton chop sideburns because you know what he let his football do do the talking for a first gamer. So a bit of a bright, a bit of a, a promise there. When you think of how good Ridley's been, uh, that's a real plus, isn't it? To pick up a two hundred gamer out of thin air. Uh, there's not all doom and gloom for the Bombers, but Brisbane they go on their merry way. A very good win. Okay, that is Friday night. Let's talk about Saturday. Well, was this the battle for the wooden spoon? North Melbourne taking on Adelaide. Adelaide winless so far in 2020. North Melbourne having lost their last six games. Someone had to break the runabouts. In the end, emphatically, it was the Kangaroos. 69-point victors over the hapless Crows. 19-5, 119 Defeating Adelaide, 7-9-50. For the Roos, three to Zerha, two to Davies Uniac, two to Hall, two to Higgins, two to Larky, two to Marnie, and two to Pittard. McAdam, the only multiple goal kicker for Adelaide. Riding was on the wall early in this one as well. Four goals to zip at quarter time, nine goals to three at halftime. In fact, until about five minutes before that long break finding, I thought the Crows were hanging in there that actually managed to uh, level things up a bit, not on the scoreboard, but in terms of the general run of play. But they really dropped the ball in the last five minutes before halftime. The Roos slammed on three in about four minutes, two of them to Pittard. Todd Goldstein provided two of the assists for them. He had a fantastic game in the ruck. A ripper from Sean Higgins from out on the boundary line. And what had been only a 16-point deficit was 34 when they walked off for the halftime break, and pretty much no contest thereafter. Three goals each in the third term, and then an absolute picnic for the Roos as Adelaide effectively waved the white flag in the last quarter. They slammed on seven goals, three to a solitary goal, and they all got in on the act, including the comeback man, Majak Dor. Wasn't that a great scene when he kicked that goal and absolutely swamped by every teammate on the ground? Davies Uniac chipped in for one. Uh, Jed Anderson, who was terrific for the Roos, close to their best, I thought, along with Goldstein. Um, and uh, actually, Luke McDonald, 
fantastic game by him too, uh, roaming free across half back, and he picked up a stack of touches. I think well over thirty in the finish. They actually look pretty solid north. And the other thing too, I think important to point out, a real vindication of what they'd done at selection, which was brave to say the least in dropping both Ben Brown and Jared Pollock, two of you'd think their most important players, the former horribly out of form. The second, I thought he was actually okay the week before, but they were pretty dirty on him for not following instructions. Made an example of him. Be interesting to see if those two guys can regain their place this week because North looked pretty solid. When you remember, that was a performance also without Cunnington and Zeeble. Uh, you say all is not lost for the Bombers. I don't think all was lost for the Ruse either, Finey. Yeah, there were parts, certainly in that first quarter, there was no question you were watching two bottom teams and two teams that hadn't won, well, eight weeks the entire season for the Crows and the last six weeks for Adelaide. They just didn't quite have a handle on the concept of passing the ball through three or four hands and then kicking it through those big things at the end of the ground. North Melbourne, though, mainly through their... Uh, not their inclusions, but Daw definitely started getting into the game in, in the second quarter, both in the ruck and at his probably favourite position at centre-half back. Davis Uniac was uh, providing something. And, you know, they were just getting bits out of... Now, I'm not saying that this guy Marnie is going to be a, a league footballer of, of any note, but they took great pleasure in um, his winning of the ball. So I've got to say that they sort of... Um, infectiously became a team where Adelaide still were a disparate group of um, shooks running around without their heads on. The loss of Taylor before the game, Taylor Walker before the game, did he have gastro? Uh, yes, he did. Wouldn't want to be near him even gastro. He's a big lad. Uh, messy. The loss of Walker really was the loss of direction. Tom Lynch has been a very good player for them. Such a hard worker up and down the ground. And his kicking's always been good, but not this week. Um, I don't know. Look, they're, they're struggling. And even players who should be better are struggling. The likes of Smith and Laird. Natalia was okay in defence. And Riley O'Brien competed okay against Todd Goldstein. But all in all, a really valid question is, can they win a game this season? It's an abbreviated season. Uh, I don't think teams are going to be in any mood to let them off lightly. Uh, can they win one? Of course they can. Will they win one? No, I don't think so. No, I reckon they will. We always say this. Everyone always slips up enough to allow a down-the-ladder team to win at least once, I think. Actually, you mentioned the senior players. Rory Laird, interesting. I can't remember seeing him have a go through midfield before, but he got shifted in there after half-time and actually had a pretty reasonable third quarter. At about eight touches, I think, kicked a really nice goal. So that's what it's going to come down to for them, I think, just rotating what seniority they have through the most important positions on the field, regardless of where they've made their names. You've got to feel sorry for Matthew Nix. He has inherited uh, a pretty poor, underdeveloped uh, list of players. But, you know, it can be turned around quickly. I wouldn't be despairing if I was an Adelaide supporter. I must say, they played a player that, to me, looked very unlike any league footballer. The player's name is Kieran Strawn. I know he's a late inclusion, but he looked a little bit like the deer in the headlights to me. And Well, he's got a career ahead of him, maybe. I'm not sure how many more games he's going to play. Played in the Sandfall last year, but the AFL looked uh, a bit daunting for him. Oh, well, you know, it's not how they look, it's how they play, 
plenty yep. of people have had shabby first games and uh, he's not exactly making his debut in the most favourable of circumstances. So cut him a bit of slack, perhaps. Yeah, it'd be good. good to see Strawny do well. All right, that was the uh, first of the Saturday games. Let's talk about the second. Well, it's been a good couple of weeks for the Saints in terms of uh, getting some monkeys off the back. Of course, two monkeys over in Adelaide dismissed from their shoulders and a third, if you like, in overturning the bogey team that was the Swans. They did it in imperious fashion in the end. A thumping 53. Point victory. Took me a while to work that out. 15 11, 101 St Kilda, defeating the Swans 6 12, 48. Even enough early on, but the uh, longer this game went, the more the Saints pulled away. And then uh, party time in the last term, six goals, five they piled on in the last quarter to the Swans' solitary goal. For the Saints, three to Nick Hine, three to Max King, two to Battle, two to Butler, two to Gresham. Tom McCartan, three, the only multiple goal kicker for the Swans. I like the look of your Saints, finally. They've got plenty of run. Look, Nick Hine offered a bit more of that. They're dangerous up forward with the likes of King and Membry and Butler at their feet. Battle is uh, bobbing up here and there. Uh, and they've got an evenness about them, too, that I haven't seen of St Kilda lineups uh, probably, oh, well, I'd say definitely since back in the Ross Lyon days. So, They've got a lot going for them, and uh, they're pretty good to watch. You must be very happy with how they're going. I can tell you, a lot of SMSs, a lot of between St Kilda supporters during the game. They're coming left, right and centre. A lot of phone calls after the game, because for those of us that have watched the team for decades and not tasted uh, that premiership success, this team does stand out for its depth, its consistency, and its brilliant target recruiting. You've mentioned Butler, you know, 17 goals right up there in the... Uh, reckoning for the crazy Coleman of 2020. But also, Zach Jones going very well out of the middle. Very well indeed. The Paddy Ryder pick was one that people sort of um, questioned, but he's just rocking beautifully, and it works with him and Rowan Marshall. I'll explain why shortly. The uh, Dougal Howard, he's hitting his straps nicely, hasn't he? So they're just excellent pickups. And I haven't mentioned probably the one that... He hasn't disappointed. Bradley Hill, he did some very smart things. He's still, with ball in hand, the player you want because he's such a beautiful kick. So great recruiting has lifted the team. But also, you can't be a very good team. You look at any premiership team, Rowan, and there'll be a rich vein of successful drafting through the rookie draft and late picks. And St Kilda's got that now with Rowan Marshall, a rookie, Ben Long, uh, a very late pick, and... Nick Hind, a late pick, one that Essendon, I think, were going to put onto their list out of Essendon VFL. His inclusion in the team with Jack Sinclair over the last two weeks has worked well and given St Kilda that added depth. So things are going along swimmingly. And Max King, because he's so good on the ground, so quick, such a good mobile player, even though he's 200 centimetres, you can play another Ruckman, well, a Ruckman in the forward line and a Tim Membry. It's not top-heavy because of King's mobility. From the Sydney perspective, you know what? They tried bloody hard, very undermanned. They're still a bit of a bogey team for the Saints. You know what? I'll leave with you with this. Daniel Churney tweeted this after the game. Under Alan Richardson, St Kilda versus Adelaide, Port Adelaide and Sydney, naught from 19. Under Ratton, three from three, and all in about a 12-day period. Don't forget, these teams have caused great pain to St Kilda fans. 97 for Adelaide, 
And people don't estimate or, or put enough store into those two lost preliminary finals against Port and Sydney in 2004-2005 because they were great premiership opportunities for St Kilda. So these three clubs weigh heavily on Saints fans. It's been a very good fortnight for St Kilda. And the uh, headline, as far as I'm concerned, uh, not to be read until after the completion of this round, but that has St Kilda third on the ladder, ahead of even West Coast on percentage and a game ahead of the Tigers, only Port Adelaide and Brisbane ahead of them. So, you know, you wouldn't say they're home and host for a spot in the finals, but, gee, they've laid some pretty solid foundations. And, uh, look, that a foundation good enough to withstand a bit of a dip in form here and there. So I like their chances at this stage of making finals for the first time since 2011, thus removing another weight of history from their shoulders. So they're good to watch. Um, I'm enjoying their resurgence, and I think a lot of other neutral people are as well. Careful, Brett Ratton. Taking a lonely team into the finals cost him his job at his last club. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, good effort by the Saints. All right, uh, one more game to be played on Saturday, and it was a corker. Let's get on to that. Well, these two teams, fantastic rivals back in the early 90s, played off in two grand finals and another preliminary final. Some epic stouches, and this one wasn't far short of those. Uh, I thought this was a cracking game, Finey. West Coast and Geelong, of course, I'm speaking about. In the end, a nine-point win to the Eagles, 11 goals, 7, 73, defeating Geelong, 10-4-64. Did it the hard way, the Eagles. Geelong absolutely lost nothing in defeat. They gave it a terrific crack, particularly when you consider no Selwood and no Ablett. Um, and uh, despite that, led by uh, the best part of four goals for much of this game. Great fight back, though, from the Eagles. Two men towered above this contest for me at the end. One was doing it at the centre bounces, Nick Natanui. I'll tell you, I did tweet on Saturday night, I think there may be better Ruckman technically in the caper, but I don't think even the likes of Gorn and Grundy have the level of influence that Natanui has over his side's performance. The quality of some of his Ruck work, but just his clearance winning ability and his absolute physical presence. God, he's a fantastic player to watch when he's on song. He made a huge difference. And the other one, Three goals in the last quarter and just a tower of strength. Josh Kennedy, boy, is he in a purple patch of form, which seems to have come out of nowhere. So, look, they struggled for a bit of this game, the Eagles, but in the end, um, fantastic comeback to take the points in a terrific standard contest. I thought if this wasn't the best game to watch this season, it was right up there with the best handful. And, uh, look, West Coast take the points. Geelong, I think, lost very little in defeat. Couldn't agree more. I think you summed it up pretty well for both of us. Uh, that that knew he was fantastic. Geelong, eight goals straight. That really sort of bamboozled West Coast and kept them at arm's length. Mitch Duncan, important play for them. Not only the goal he kicked against the runner play in that third quarter to keep them uh, at arm's length, but also his delivery into the forward line is fantastic. Radigalia, pity he missed an opportunity to further... Uh, consolidate that lead. But he was proving to be a, a good target. But I think one of his better games. Look, it was a great contest. Truly finals-like, wasn't it? Super pressure. Um, you know, I tweeted after the game, got big response, both positive and not agreeing. I don't like the fact that you can take 30 seconds off the clock for a shot of goal with no intention of taking a shot of goal. Uh, 
the AFL needs to do something about it. It's not the rule is that you get a bit of extra time to have a shot of goal. Not you get 30 seconds to ice with no intention, which is what Cripps did. He did the right thing. He set the ball up to the top of the square. You don't need 30 seconds to do that. Um, there must be some way around it. My theory is that uh, even if the ball falls short and you're trying to have a kick at goal, if you're taking 30 seconds for a shot at goal, the resultant kick cannot be marked by your team. It can be marked, but it's instantly play on. The opposition can mark it. That doesn't mean you don't go for a mark and try and handball it off or do something. But I don't think you should be allowed, certainly, not to take 30 seconds and then kick it backwards. Make sure that happened in the grand final, Rowan. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm not sure where I stand on that, actually. I mean, it's you could always claim that you were having a shot for goal and it just fell short. It's a pretty hard one to prove, isn't it? Yeah, but you don't have to. If it falls short, it falls short. Once you take the 30 seconds, you yourself are saying, I'm going to make the distance. If you miss kick it, it can't be marked. It's, it's not a free kick against you. If the ball's marked, if it's among and it's marked by your player, he turns around and has a snapshot of goal. It's not the end of the earth. But Well, you know, you know, very similar. Well, that did happen in the last minute of the 2018 grand final. If you remember, the clearing kick from Collingwood was marked by Luke Shuey. And he was always going to be too far out to score, yeah, but he was yeah. given 30 seconds as well. well. At that point, I was apoplectic about what Darling had done, so I think I was unconscious. Yeah, <laughs> I think a whole lot of West Coast supporters were as well. Um, yeah, look, uh, great game this. Uh, I'll be very happy for these two sides to meet in the finals. It's funny with Geelong. They can play some very turgid footy at times, and they can play some spectacularly entertaining football Very spirited well, so. football they can play, can't they? When they... When they are single-minded. They certainly do go in hard for each other. And the, probably a bit of a turning point was that great mark by Guthrie, but he played on and got done yeah. for holding the ball. Incidentally, I did forget to read out the goal kickers. So Kennedy four, two to Sheed, two to Darling, and for the Cats, two to Tui, two to Hawkins, the only multiple goal kickers for them. But a great game, uh, a real reminder of the sort of footy we used to see on a weekly basis not all that long ago. Let's hope we can see a lot more of that yep. as this season progresses. Uh, that was all of Saturday's games. Let's turn our attention to Sunday. First game of two on Sunday, and it was uh, the newbies or relative newbies of the AFL. Gold Coast taking on GWS. And another who do play here. GWS won their last eight against the Suns. Their last victory coming back. In 2014, uh, and I think we all expected the Giants to win this one and win it they did pretty comfortably in the end. Nine goals, seven, 61, 26-point victors over the Suns, four goals, 11, 35 for the Giants, two to Cameron, two to Himmelberg, all singles for the Suns who were goalless at quarter time, still only two goals on the board at three-quarter time. Sort of curious when you can kick only two goals in three quarters and still theoretically be in a contest, and that was the case. And they played, look, they weren't awful. I didn't think the Suns, but um, the Giants are aside getting their act together. They were a fair way off their best today, too, I thought, but uh, certainly did enough to get the job done. Lockie Whitfield, pretty good. Zach Williams, good. Taranto, Hopper, Haynes and Core in defence for the Suns. Sam Collins. Certainly uh, gave it a crack in defence. Jared Witts in the ruck, pretty good. Jack Bones, uh, Jack Bones, Jack Bones, 
and Ben Ainsworth for them. But uh, fairly predictable result, perhaps a fairly predictable scoreline as well, Farney. Yeah, bad. This game was sort of um, topped and tailed by concern for GWS, Toby Green and Zach, uh, not Zach, Matt DeBorb doing hamstrings at the start and end of the game. Green, of course, you know, vital to their uh, every every inch of their being, GWS. He's, he's their living heart and their scoring, main scoring option. And DeBoer is an important player as well. Beyond that, um, not usual suspects, because it, it hasn't been that case, but very good players had very good games. Zach Williams returned after injury almost to be best on ground. What an important player he is. He and Lockie Whitfield make for great halfback line offence in different ways. Williams a runner, Whitfield precise by foot, Josh Kelly, close to his best game of the season, almost 30 touches. Uh, Taranto, hasn't he stepped back well after that, what looked to be season almost ending injury, but he benefited from the big break after round one. And just a good even output that saw Hopper play one of his better games. As for the Giants, well, they were, again, the the student, the, the, uh, the new, the, sort of the, the underage kid at the party or the, the younger brother that tags along. They just, you know, almost didn't believe in themselves. That being said, there were some moments. Ben King took a great mark with the fly to the ball, reminiscent of a Jonathan Brown-type mark. So he's very good, these King brothers. They can play, I'll tell you that much. And for, for Gold Coast, their problem, of course, was score, score power, of which there wasn't too much. And... Rankin, yeah, can do the spectacular, but at the moment he's just a forward. They obviously incredibly miss Raoul, who only played, what, four games of football to be considered one of the best players in the comp. It's going to be hard this period for them because they've got a lot of young players and hard for them to play every week. And interesting, Rowan, did you know this, that they loaned out six players to a practice match in which they were not involved? I didn't know that. Whose practice match? Uh, It was, um, I don't know, wherever they are two of the hub teams there, but they were not in that practice game. Six players played, the likes of Fiorini and other others who've played senior football this year were split evenly between the two sides. So it's a funny world. It's a funny, they, funny uh, football world. Did they deliberately drop marks when the ball came their way? Yeah, no, it's not 12th man. It's not in cricket when, as a junior, you have to go on and field for the other team. Uh, well, the Suns are starting to feel a pinch down to 11th spot on the ladder now with a 4-5 record. And the Giants just hanging about there in the lower reaches of the eight at 5-4. And, and, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'll let you finish. I've got one just an observation. Oh, I was just going to say, still to be uh, treated with caution, I would suggest. Of course. And this was probably the last career chance, but not taken by the Giants, for Mumford and Sons to play on the same field. It didn't happen, so that will be consigned to history, I reckon, after this year. All right. Uh, One game left on Sunday, one game left in the round. It was a thriller, and it was over in Perth. Well, this one was real edgy seat stuff right from the start, and an amazing start to this game. must have been, I think, 20-odd minutes before the first score. Uh, of the game, not even a goal, just a behind. But it wasn't um, yawn fest. It was quite exciting stuff even then. And in the end, a 12-point victory to Fremantle over Collingwood, 
although effectively a six-point win, David Mundy converting a free kick after the final siren. Ten goals, one sixty-one, defeating the Pies, 7-7-49. Now, tell you what, Finey, I've always, one thing I've always thought about the Dockers, as long as I can remember, they have been an inefficient side. They've been a side which wasted a lot of their scoring opportunities. Well, I turned that around today because efficiency is playing a pretty big part in this season, I think, and it certainly did today. Ten goals, one. We've seen some amazing score lines. There's another one. But 11 scoring shots to the Pies, 14, and yet they get up and take the points. Uh, goal kickers for the Dockers, four goals to Matt Tabiner, who played a very important role. Uh, ditto Lockie Schultz, who bobbed up with two. Two to Crowden as well, the only multiple goal kicker for the Pies. Steel Sidebottom, who came back into that lineup after a four-game suspension and just clicked back into action straight away. I thought he was probably Collingwood's best player today. This game was neck and neck deep into that last quarter. Tabiner put the Dockers 13 points up with seven minutes left to play. Sidebottom snapped a goal to bring it back to six points with a bit over three minutes left on the clock. Controversial decision too. Jamie Elliott uh, kicked the ball very hurriedly off the ground uh, forward. It went at least 30 metres forward. Didn't find a teammate, but somehow penalised for deliberate out of bounds. I thought that was very, very harsh. How that that's the one I was talking about compared to you know on par with that Essendon free. How, what what umpire with any sense of understanding of the game would think that the team that's behind and trying to get the ball forward would be wanting to waste time? Well, I think that rule has ceased to be interpreted as deliberately out of bounds. I think it's. It should actually be written to, you know, not doing enough to keep the ball in play. It is written like that. They reworded it. Well, there's no way it was deliberate out of bounds. I can tell you that. That was with two and a half minutes left on the clock. Uh, The Dockers managed to pretty much hang on to the ball after that. And Mundy getting one for two high, about 20 metres out, literally 10 seconds before. As the siren rang and delirium ensued in the stands. And good to see people actually sitting in the stands. This is a good effort from Freo in recent weeks, and I think no less than they've deserved. We've said this consistently all year. They have been competitive every single week, deserve more than their uh, toil had produced. And finally, they are getting some results, up to three and six now. Still third last on the ladder, but only a win away from 10th on the ladder. So who knows? Maybe they might make a belated tilt at it. Collingwood... Well, the cards aren't falling their way. There's no doubt about that. They're lucky to even have their coach there. If uh, if we'd listened to the Collingwood chairman during the week, finally, the Collingwood coach would have been sent home in disgrace. However, it seems a lot of what he says doesn't apply to his own team. Uh, Collingwood now, uh, four wins, four losses and a draw, have slipped outside the eight to 10th. Um, still plenty of chances to get back in, but uh, gee, it's becoming a battle for them and that wasn't looking the case only a few short weeks ago. Good game, this one. Really enjoyed it. What do you make of it? Oh, it was two nail biters in Perth, wasn't it? The local teams taking on <laughs> strong Victorian clubs in Collingwood and Geelong, and they were both similarly exciting to watch, but a gulf of difference in uh, the skills on display. Gee, there were some... They weren't... Those low scores in the first quarter, they weren't by accident. Uh, just terrible missing of targets and not being able to get the ball going through them. Big sticks, but it was Collingwood, actually, that sort of got the first goal away, and then there was a bit of toing and fro there. But 
just before half time, Fremantle got in front and they look like the team more likely to win. With the big home crowd, certainly lifted the side. With, you know, some guys that they're battlers, really, Matera, Conker, but they were nose to the grindstone sort of stuff. They were, I thought Collingwood were on the receiving end of some terrible umpiring. Three or four times, Collingwood players who didn't know the ball were just physically throw, picked up and thrown out of the contest. It was very weird. Then It was like the umpire said, no, I don't, I'm not paying that today. But in the end, 10 goals won, I think, won them the game. I can only ask one question, Rowan, and I quote the late Julius Sumner Miller, who was employed by the Cadbury chocolate makers, to ask, why is it so? Why is it so after 122 years where... The supporters' bane of their life, the grist for the talkback bill is, here comes, a, here comes football. The one thing that never improves is goal kicking. How many times have you heard that come out of a supporter's mouth? And for 122 years, it seemed to be the case. Why are we uber accurate in this very unusual season? There must be a reason. What is it? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Actually, I, I think I'll make a point of checking what the overall accuracy rate is this year compared to other years because... I reckon I've seen plenty of shocking kicks ago this year as well, but no doubt about some of those ultra-accurate score lines. Maybe uh, shorter games, less fatigue. Yes, I, I don't know. That. Less crowd, uh, less pressure. Yes, uh, quite possibly. Uh, we'll, we'll ruminate on that one over the next few days and get back to you with an answer. On Thursday, that is round nine done and dusted in a review sense. Now, as I warned you last episode, uh, things are a little bit different on the Footyology podcast the next couple of weeks. No rant off, no life hacks this week, but a very good reason for that. That is because we've got games to preview. We have four games to preview before we next come to you on Thursday morning. So I think we should do that right now. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Monday evening, yes. Round 10 kicks off on Monday evening, Adelaide Oval, 7.10 Eastern Standard Time, uh, 6.40 Adelaide time. Port Adelaide taking on the Western Bulldogs. Intriguing clash this one, finding Port Adelaide, of course, on top of the ladder. The Bulldogs uh, up and down, pretty disappointing last week, certainly. Uh, Made to look pretty second rate, really, by the Tigers. What's going to happen in this one? Well, ordinarily, this would be a game I'd be tempted to tip the Doggies, but... It's at home, and I was really impressed with how Port played in this round. I think they've got their mm-hmm. run going. I like the young guns that have come into the team. We wrapped up Georgiades. He certainly added something. Rosie, Butters, Dersma. They've got a real spark about them, and, and uh, they're managing to win even when the likes of Charlie Dixon et al. don't play to their absolute best. One part of the ground that always seems to play to its best is the back line very undersold for a long time now. The likes of Cleary, Jonas, Hamish Hartley plays a terrific role in that defence as a running, rebounding, creative defender. He's important to them. And I think their midfield is getting better and better, none other than Ollie Wines sort of getting back to somewhere near his best. And Travis Boak playing some terrific footy as well. You know you're going all right when a guy like Rockcliffe can become a... Uh, a supporting cast member rather than a lead actor. So, look, I like the Bulldogs in personnel terms usually, but they're not gelling all that well and not that consistently at the moment. I tend to think the Port Power at home finding are going to be too good in this one. What say you? 
we're just doing uh, one person review, one person doing tips. My tips will become via a, f- a small part of their song. So I'm tipping we'll never stop, stop, stop till we're top, top, top. All right, second game before our next episode. This, one of the matches of the year, you would have to say, 7.10pm Tuesday evening. It is Richmond taking on Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane second on the way to equal on points with Port. Richmond in fifth, but coming fast. That was a very ominous shot across the bowels, I thought, against the Doggies last week. Up to five and a half wins now. They're getting the job done with that supporting cast. And in fact, once again, I think that supporting cast has given them a real shot in the arm of enthusiasm. Loving the look of the likes of Egmer West Smith. Uh, Maybe or Charles looking terrific. Uh, Sydney Stack, etc., etc. You've got Cochin back with the game under his belt now. And the most ominous of all, how good was Dustin Martin against the Western Bulldogs? Once Dusty hits a rich frame of form, he doesn't tend to lose it too quickly. So I think it's lookout Brisbane. In fact, the midfield battle, I'm pretty sure, will decide the fate of this game. It's a massive challenge for the Brisbane band. Look, we know they've got some fantastic players in there too. Lockie Neal, Brownlow favourite, Dane Zorko, etc., etc. I think Richmond's got the armoury to match them there, though. I think Richmond might have the defence to stop Brisbane kicking goals, even the likes of Charlie Cameron. And at the other end, I think the uh, powerful duo, that is Lynch and Rewalt, presenting a very, very dangerous proposition indeed to a Brisbane defence, which can be unsettled with a little bit of pressure and quick delivery coming in. For that reason, I reckon the Tigers are about to get on a sizable roll, Fanny. I am going for them to win this game, albeit narrowly, in a replay of last year's qualifying final. I reckon they're good enough to take the Chockeys again. All right. Uh, we have the next game on the agenda. It's a double header on Wednesday night. And the first of those games is Geelong taking on North Melbourne. 5.40 p.m. Traditional time slot of 5.40 p.m. on a Wednesday. Geelong taking on North Melbourne. That used to be the only hour of the week I didn't think about football. 5.30, 5.40 on a Wednesday. Uh, Geelong, North Melbourne. That is a game I'm assuming being played... On an aeroplane somewhere from Perth? At the Gabba. At the Gabba. No, it doesn't really matter where it's going to be played for me. Look, Geelong need to be careful. These are the sort of games, when they are aside, when they put in a huge effort, uh, it can be telling. And I've got to say, they played a bone-crunching game in Perth on Saturday night, and now they're at the Gabba on Wednesday? Not easy. Not easy. I'm going to tip the upset in this. Look, that is a really hard contract to come back. And North Melbourne, as you pointed out, got things rolling a little bit against Adelaide. I don't think they need to bring Ben Brown back. I think they need to bring Pollock back. Lesson learnt there. Um, But they kicked 19 goals. Son's Ben Brown. So they will have another avenue to goal. And I, I just think it's not even a danger game for Geelong. It's a difficult game for Geelong. They're not the youngest team in the competition. We know that. From Harry Taylor to Lockie Henderson to Zach Tui to Paddy Dangerfield. Obviously no Ablett at the moment. Selwood should come back, but no certainty to come back. They've got some older bodies and they've got some beaten up bodies. And I think North Melbourne might just be able to catch them and take advantage of what at times is going to seem to be a bit of an unfair draw in this 20-day period. Geelong have been served up a hard contract. Do they play Jack Stephen, for example? I think he's out of favour. Uh, we'll see what team they put on the field, but I'm tipping North. 
Uh, we play the game as it should be played at home or far away. Well, this is far away, so that's a very good line that you've chosen. Now, that was and an that's interesting... that's why I chose it. You know why that's an interesting song choice? Why? Do you know the Geelong song, what it used to be? Um, I remember the Barry Crocker one. No, about, no, they, uh, they have a song on in the, the 50s before this one. Uh, no, I don't. What was it? Quickly. Out we come, out we come, out we come to play. That's the North Melbourne Correct. One. Not for recreation. Song to pass the time. The Geelong boys are hard to beat when they come out to play. So joining the chorus was actually Geelong's song before North Melbourne's. Well, what do you know? I wonder if they got Happy Hammond to play it on the piano accordion and run down the race with them before the grand final. Uh, all right. Uh, fourth game yep. we are previewing before we get to our Thursday edition. And the second leg of the Wednesday doubleheader, 8.10 Eastern Standard Time, 7.40 uh, Australian Central Time. It's uh, that means it's Adelaide Oval, of course, and it is Adelaide taking on Melbourne. What happens in this one, Finey? Look, I really think Melbourne will win this game, but they're sort of on a hiding to nothing. Everybody expects them to win it because Adelaide have been so poor. If they don't, Melbourne will be torn to shreds by the media, and quite rightly, be in a parlour situation. Interesting that Simon Goodwin. Um, such a famous name at Adelaide Football Club, almost has his future in his hands against his old club. It's quite poetic. I'm tipping Melbourne because of Adelaide's inability to win games of football. Look, they've got a combination of some, as we said, old players out of form, young players just making their way in the game. McAdam's starting to show a bit, so is Murphy up forward. But come on, Melbourne. Come on, come on, come on. Make last week an aberration by putting Adelaide to the sword. I am absolutely tipping Melbourne. But, like, if I was a Melbourne supporter, boy, oh, boy, I'd be nervous about Wednesday about 10 past eight. I am so tempted to tip the Crows as poor as they were against North Melbourne. I've just got a funny feeling about this game. However, uh, I think I'm still holding a slender lead over you and the tips, and I'm not game enough to put that at risk at this stage of the season. So... I'm sticking with Melbourne, but if they let me down, I don't think I'll be tipping them again for the remainder of this season. And it definitely is a danger game for them. Yep, Melbourne for me as well. There it is. That is half a round preview. We'll preview the rest of round 10 when we return on Thursday. A couple of people that will always be returning finally are our sponsors, and I'd like you to give them a a nice little shout-out right now. Oh, I love the burgers. The burgers are better at one place, Andrew's Hamburgers. Now, I can say that because I'm being a little bit cheeky, aren't I? That is the Burger King refrain, but they're currently selling a takeoff. Hungry Jacks. I mean, yeah, whatever. But they're Hungry Jacks, but they're taking they're taking the sort of mickey out of McDonald's at the moment with their Big Jack. Well, forget Big Jack. Just worry about Big Greg and Little Greg, because there's two Gregs there, Big Greg and Little Greg, at Andrew's Hamburgers. Well... At a place that we love, which is Andrew's Burgers. Um, it, it, it's a ripper. It, for me, the best burgers in Australia. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. You've got to live within 5Ks if you want to go there for takeaway. I wonder if you could do a relay. You see, a relay would be good. Somebody could pick up a burger that lives in the 5 kilometres, and if you're outside the 5 kilometres, but within 5 kilometres of that person, can you go over to that place and pick up an Andrew's Burger? Yeah, you could do... Do it through four hands, maybe. I just, I want a burger and I want some renovations and I want them right now, Finey. Okay, then go to West Point, 
Westport Properties, I mean, West Point Properties, uh, Nick Spartels will build you a house now, right now. No, not now, but he'll build you something brilliant when the job is done. You'll love it, just like Pendlebury, just like Heppel, just like Sheehan, and just like everybody else that's got a West Point property. By Nick Spartels, we're coming to the end of a great show, Rowan, preview, review stuff. Okay, there it is, the first of a, a string of marathon preview review shows. We'll be back to preview the second half of Round 10 on Thursday. I hope your team did have a good win. If they didn't, don't worry, because you get another chance a couple of days down the track. We'll see you on Thursday. Bye. Bye.